Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Don't make the little C bigger than the big C. Christ is bigger than cancer. You need your faith to hold you steady. And this is when you need to lean into God's word. This is when you need to lean into God's truth. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, this week marks eight years since I heard the words no woman wants to hear. You have breast cancer. It's hard to believe that it's been eight years. So today, what I thought I'd do is I'd walk you through my breast cancer journey. I'd also share two ways that you can help someone who has cancer. And then six things someone who's going through cancer needs to know. This is often what I share when I'm talking with somebody who has just gotten a diagnosis and they're trying to wrap their brain around what is happening and what the journey is going to look like ahead. Everyone's journey is a little different, but I think it helps when we can hear someone else's journey. I think it can help when we know what it is that we can do that can make a difference for someone walking a cancer journey. And I do believe that there are some principles that I learned along the way that I can share with someone who's walking through cancer that will equip them for the journey even better. So I heard those words on a Wednesday morning. I was out running errands when I got a phone call. I noticed that it was my doctor's office calling and I knew they would be calling because I'd had a biopsy done a few days earlier. And when the nurse spoke after I answered the phone, her first words were, Jill, I need to share the results of your biopsy with you. Are you alone? Well, she didn't really have to say anything else after that. I knew what she was going to tell me. I was alone and I told her I was alone, but to please tell me what she needed to tell me. And she said, you have breast cancer. I do remember the world just kind of turning upside down at that moment. I was very close to my friend Crystal's house 
And Crystal was a nurse practitioner who happened to work in uh, my OBGYN office and she was home that day. So I immediately, I mean, without thinking, just drove to her house. The nurse had given me some information about my cancer, but I got to be honest with you, I couldn't even hear it. And at this point, I didn't even know, I didn't understand the details. I couldn't remember what she had told me. And so I went to Crystal's house, knocked on her door, uh, fell apart. I mean, just burst into tears. I said, I need to call Mark. I don't even know what the nurse told me. Could you please call and talk to them and get the details? And then I need to call Mark and I need to figure out what my next steps are. So thankfully, Crystal was able to do that for me. And the doctor's office immediately uh, set me up with an appointment that day. In fact, it was within about two hours with what's called a breast health navigator. Uh, she was a free resource at our local cancer center. And so Mark and I were in the office with the breast health navigator within a couple of hours of me receiving my diagnosis. I was really grateful for that because she actually had access to my records. She was able to answer questions for us, um, just to help us begin to wrap our brain around what some of the next steps might look like. Um, one of the things that she initially told me is that I had a stage one. Uh, it, it appeared to be stage one. Um, it appeared that it was caught early. It was small. It was a very small tumor. And it was likely that I could do a lumpectomy and radiation. But the one thing about breast cancer that they don't usually know right up front, and you have to wait to find out, is what fuels that breast cancer. That really determines what kind of treatment they're going to recommend. And what fueled my breast cancer uh, ended up being actually unknown. That's because there's usually three types of fuels for breast cancer. There is an estrogen fuel. So your body is um, producing estrogen that is fueling, is growing the cancer. There's progesterone fuel, and then there's what's called HER2. And my cancer was negative for estrogen, negative for progesterone, and negative for HER2. So therefore, it was uh, what they call triple negative breast cancer. And with triple negative breast cancer, they don't know what fuels it. And so they throw everything they have at it. So once we understood that my cancer was triple negative, which we didn't find out for another week, we found out that um, surgery and radiation would not be the recommended treatment. It would actually be surgery, chemo, and radiation. 
all three is what they were recommending. Um, I chose to go with their recommendations. It was hard, you know, to figure out all the the next steps. Um, I did not get a second opinion. I know many people that do. Um, I did uh, make a decision to have a lumpectomy and I went back and forth. That was probably one of the hardest decisions for me was mastectomy or lumpectomy. And my reasoning behind that was because um, my mother had breast cancer. My aunt had breast cancer. My grandmother had breast cancer. And now I had breast cancer. So I did genetic testing and I was negative for the um, BRCA1 and BRCA2 uh, breast cancer gene. Uh, However, the genetic counselor that I met with, you know, when she looked at my history, she said, I would guess that you have a breast cancer gene. It just hasn't been discovered yet. When there's that much breast cancer in the family, it's very likely. Um, the age at which you are, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer always also makes a difference in the genetic component of it. Um, my aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 35. That was my mother's sister. Now my mother wasn't diagnosed till she was 65. My grandmother was actually in her nineties when she was diagnosed, but it was my aunt's, um, diagnosis at 35, uh, that really, you know, I was taking that into consideration. And then my diagnosis was at the age of 49. And they say, if you're under 50, then that has some genetic, often has some genetic components to it or can have some genetic components to it. So I, um, went back and forth do I do a double mastectomy? Do I do a single mastectomy? Do I do a lumpectomy? And um, that uh, was probably the most difficult decision. But ultimately, as I met with my surgeon, she helped me to understand that with a lumpectomy, chemo and radiation, I would actually end up at the same risk of a recurrence uh, as someone who did a mastectomy and did chemo and radiation. So I made a decision to go ahead with the lumpectomy and I don't regret that decision. Now, as I share my journey, this is just my journey. Um, It's not any type of a recommendation. Uh, Please note that every cancer diagnosis, every breast cancer diagnosis is unique. And uh, the doctors that you meet with need to, um, you know, look at the big picture and give you the direction uh, that they would recommend. Um, But I do think it helps when people hear other people's journeys uh, so that they have an understanding of um, what that journey might look like for themselves if they they're the ones that gotten the diagnosis or what that might look like uh, for a loved one that has received that diagnosis uh, my um, see I had my diagnosis on November 13th and my surgery was um, I believe it was 
uh, December 20th was right before Christmas. And, um, uh, it, you know, my, my, uh, surgeon, uh, encouraged me to take my time. She was like, I don't want you to take months to decide, but, you know, do your research, take your time, figure out what you want to do. Um, I, I really want you to feel comfortable with the decision that you've made. So, uh, I had that lumpectomy in, uh, December, uh, right before Christmas. And, uh, then, uh, chemo started about a month later. And, um, for me, it was four chemo treatments every three weeks. I did lose my hair during chemo. Uh, I battled nausea during chemo. Um, what I, my chemo was every three weeks. And so as uh, my oncologist put it, I had, um, one bad week, two good weeks, one bad week, two good weeks. (laughs) And that was about true. Um, it, it really was. And in fact, at that time I was leading the hearts at home ministry and, um, I knew that I had uh, this conference, our Hearts at Home conference in March. And I told my oncologist, I said, I need that to fall on one of my good weeks. So we literally uh, made the determination as to when I would start chemo. Uh, We we counted backwards and uh, determined when I would start chemo so that I would be at the Hearts at Home conference uh, with all the moms that I love dearly. Uh, I would be able to be at that um, on one of my good weeks. Um, And then when I finished chemo, about a month later, I started radiation. And then radiation lasted 33. I had 33 radiation treatments. Uh, That was, uh, those were daily, Monday through Friday uh, for what, four weeks um, approximately. No, I guess five weeks. Um, I do have a, um, I actually have over on my blog and we'll make sure that this link is in the show notes. I have a video of one of my radiation treatments. Um, I had so many people asking about it that I just decided to video one of them. And, um, uh, I, I did a blog post. So if you know someone that is facing radiation, they'd like to know approximately what a radiation treatment might look like. Um, you can go over to that blog post and, um, actually see a video of what a radiation treatment looks like for breast cancer. And that was the end of the treatment for me. Um, in uh, June of 2014 when I finished my radiation. So my treatment ran from December to June. It was about a seven-month treatment. Um, Chemo was the hardest part for me, uh, for sure. Radiation was not difficult, although it does wear you out, and it made me very tired. And uh, that lasted for several months after the radiation treatments were over. So it really took probably two to three months after radiation was done before I was starting to feel like myself again. Um, My hair started coming back in very shortly after I stopped chemo. And um, by the time I was doing my radiation, 
uh, I had really short curly hair um, and it was baby soft. Um, And, you know, those curls lasted for a year. And somebody told me they'll last about a year and then your hair will go straight again. And it sure did. Lasted about a year and went straight again after that. Most women who have some sort of a hormone fuel to their um, cancer, their breast cancer, will continue or may be recommended that they continue treatment beyond the, um, you know, whatever their initial treatment is, um, because they're trying to suppress that hormone in the body so that it doesn't grow any more cancer. And um, in my case, because mine wasn't hormone driven, uh, I did not have any other treatment past that six month mark when I finished my radiation. So oftentimes when someone has received a breast cancer diagnosis, um, we want to help them, but we don't know how. And uh, I want, for those of you that are listening, who may have a loved one that has a diagnosis um, or um, may have a loved one that has a diagnosis in the future, I want you to know of two very specific ways that you can help someone who has cancer. And honestly, this would apply to any type of cancer, breast cancer, any type of cancer. Um, uh, These two ways are a second set of ears and a second set of hands. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So the second set of ears, um, you know, I shared with you what happened the morning I got my diagnosis. Um, When you get a diagnosis, you get a phone call and there is um, words delivered that turn your world upside down, your ears stop working. And that was why I needed my friend Crystal to make the phone call for me. That was why I needed her to uh, get the details for me. Um, When I went to the Breast Health Navigator that afternoon, Mark went with me and uh, we carried a notebook with us everywhere we went. We wrote down I mean, I just had my little breast cancer notebook. We wrote down anything that we were told, any communication that was given to us, any suggestions for things that we needed to do. All of that was in this little notebook. And in fact, uh, to get ready for this episode, I pulled that little notebook out so I could remember some of the things that were told to me, some of the things that I better I could better uh, remember uh, because it's been, you know, out of my mind. Those kind of details have been out of my mind uh, for quite some time. So uh, I learned that every doctor's appointment needed a second set of ears. I chose to go to one doctor's appointment without that second set of ears. And it really wasn't a doctor appointment. It was my genetic counselor appointment. And I went by myself because I thought, oh, this is, I mean, she's just going to get information from me and she's going to, you know, I had it in my head what that was going to look like. Well, guess what? I made some assumptions. I was wrong. And I don't even remember what it was that she communicated to me, but 
I became extremely emotional and I shut down my listening again. And I thought to myself, I should have brought a second set of ears to this appointment. In fact, from that moment on, I never went to another appointment by myself. Now, this day and age, I still see my oncologist once a year. I do go to those appointments by myself. Um, but when I was in treatment, when I was in the middle of decisions needing to be made, information being given all the way through that seven months, I never went to a doctor's appointment without a second set of ears. Most often that was Mark. He was with me, but there were a few times that he wasn't able to uh, due to work or some other situation. And um, in that case, I had a friend uh, that went with me uh, to be that second set of ears. So one way that you can help someone um, that has cancer is to offer to be their second set of ears uh, if ever needed. Um, that second way is a second set of hands. And um, what does that look like? Um, well, on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, it may look like um, bringing a meal. Uh, it may look like being at the grocery store and calling uh, your person that is in treatment or is in the middle of um, making decisions about treatment and you call and say, hey, um, I'm at the grocery store. Is there anything you need? Um, it may be that you have a couple of hours on a Tuesday afternoon and you call and say, hey, I've got a couple of hours this afternoon. Um, do your bathrooms need to be cleaned? Uh, what can I do for you that is weighing heavy on you? And I could just relieve that from you. Um, this is what I, I learned. Um, don't ask, just do. I remember when uh, my daughter Anne and I were writing my book um, or our book, uh, Better Together Because You're Not Meant to Mom Alone, which is a book on friendship. And we did a whole section of the book on helping someone through a crisis. And someone that we interviewed for the book um, shared about a time they were in crisis and it wasn't cancer. But I remember her exact words were um, about a friend that just really was there for her during her crisis. And, and her words that she described it was, she didn't ask, she did. What I've discovered is one of the most ineffective offers of help, and we've all done it, but it's the most ineffective offer of help is let me know what you need. Let me know what you need. When someone is in medical treatment, when someone is in a crisis, they don't know what they need. They really don't know what they need. And you and I do know what they need. Like they need um, they probably need help with meals. They need help with kids. They need help with house. Uh, they need help maybe with transportation. Uh, they may need that second set of ears. So what I have learned out of that journey is the most effective thing to do is to offer specific help. I have two hours this afternoon. Could I take your kids to the park? I'm at the grocery store. 
Is there anything I could pick up for you? And let me tell you why that was really helpful for me. Um, I was just so emotionally uh, tender. I didn't even want to be at the grocery store because I didn't want somebody to walk by me and see me and say, hey, Jill, how's it going? And what are you going to do in that moment? I mean, honestly, I was just so emotionally tender that I would just burst into tears. So I was so grateful for that offer of, hey, I'm at the grocery store. Is there anything that you need? Is there anything I can pick up for you? Um, What a difference that makes when somebody just keeps you out of having to do some of those public things when you are in a tender place or when you're not feeling well. Um, it was very helpful. I always had somebody go with me to my chemo treatments and my chemo treatments lasted hours. And again, that having that second set of hands at a chemo at my chemo treatments was so helpful because, you know, I'm, I'm hooked up to IVs. And, um, so I, I could visit with that person. Um, they could go get me a drink or they could go get lunch. Um, if, if my treatments were over the lunch hour. Um, so just even having that second set of hands during my chemo treatments was so very helpful. So two ways you can help someone who has cancer, a second set of ears and a second set of hands. I have a whole section on my website for people um, for if you or a loved one are going through cancer. I have a blog post that I wrote during my cancer journey. And um, I have a couple of them on how to help someone going through cancer that goes into even more details than what I was able to share here. So we will put the links uh, to that section on my website uh, where all the cancer posts are. But we'll also um, put links to some of those specific um, blog posts that would um, be helpful for you if you want to help someone going through cancer. All right, let me move on to six things someone who's going through cancer needs to know. So if you've gotten that diagnosis, um, there are a few things that I think is really important. And these were lessons learned sometimes the hard way. And these are lessons learned that I often share with someone um, who I talk to, um, who ends up reaching out to me either through social media or email, or, you know, somebody asked me if I would talk to a friend who just got a diagnosis. And I've been grateful to do able to do that. My hope is that this podcast uh, can uh, be an easy way to make that happen. Um, because these are the things that I usually, uh, I usually do tell people. Um, so six things for someone who's going through cancer, six things that you need to know. Number one, you are the general contractor for your case. All right. I want you to think about this. Uh, first thinking about it with the analogy of somebody who's building a house. I don't know if you've ever built a house, but most of us know that when you build a house, there's a general contractor and then you have these subcontractors that are brought in and the subcontractors are specialists. So you'll have uh, the general contractor that understands the plan for the house. 
you know, they're managing the blueprint. Uh, they're bringing in, they're hiring the um, subcontractors, the electrician, the plumber, the painter. But the one who knows everything that's going on with the case is, or the um, project is the general contractor. One of the things that I kept trying to figure out in my cancer journey is I had multiple doctors. You know, I had the surgeon and I had my oncologist and I had my radiation oncologist. And then, you know, I also had my breast health navigator and I had my nutritionist that was available at the cancer center, which I highly recommend uh, working with a nutritionist. She was so able to help me in so many ways from managing my nausea um, in more natural ways uh, to um, even supplements that would help me to up my immune system. Oh, she was so very helpful. However, I got all these people that are um, making recommendations and managing different parts of my case, but there was no one who was like this umbrella over my case. And I remember saying to Mark one day, oh my gosh, you know what? I think I just figured something out. I'm the general contractor. Like I'm the one that I'm the only one that knows the big picture. Now, my oncologist, my radiation oncologist, my surgeon, they all consulted with one another. And I was so grateful for that. Um, they worked together at the cancer center and they all uh, consulted with one another. But still, they were still just specialists in their area. No one was like an umbrella contractor, general contractor. And I realized that's me. And when I began to realize that, I kind of stepped into that role a little bit more intentionally. So um, I think that, uh, you know, I wish I would have understood that early on. I think, you know, every community, every um, cancer center runs a little differently. And in some cases, it may be that that breast health navigator is more of kind of that general contractor or big picture. Um, for me, she was very helpful right up front. And she was always available that I could ask questions to. Anytime I wasn't getting a question answered quick enough from a doctor, I could always turn to her and it seemed like she could get answers faster than I could. I was really grateful for that. But in general, um, I had to come to understand you're the general contractor for your case. And I have shared that with so many people going through a breast cancer or other kinds of cancer. And they have come back and said, thank you so much for telling me that because it really helped me to set my expectations and to really better show up. Um, for what I needed to show up for and to have the mindset that I needed to have, um, not waiting for someone else to ask those questions or to give me direction. 
So you are the general contractor for your case. Number two, advocate for yourself. Do not be afraid to ask questions. Do not be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Don't be afraid to communicate about side effects that are going on. You have to advocate for yourself. My tendency is um, to be a kind of a buck up. Oh, I just push through pain and I just deal with it. And I do remember one day, um, I mean, I had a terrible time with nausea with my chemo and, um, and my oncologist uh, was the one that said, Jill, you have to communicate to me what your symptoms are. I have a dozen other medications I can work with if I know that what I'm giving you isn't working. And But you've got to speak up. You've got to advocate for yourself. So um, don't be afraid to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Um, that is, you know, especially when people are pleasers, they're hesitant to ask for a second opinion because they just don't want to offend anybody. This is your body. This is your journey. Uh, so don't be afraid to ask for second opinions, to ask questions, to ask as many questions as you need to ask to better make decisions and to better understand what's going on. Number three, don't go to doctor appointments alone. I've already talked about this, um, but I really want to address it from the patient perspective. Um, like me, you may be like, min- you may minimize. Oh, I'll be fine. I won't need that. But I want you to know you do. You need that second set of ears uh, to remember to ask questions, to hear things, um, to hear them, and then you're able to process them later. Um Maybe you don't, you know, especially because you are the patient and uh, things are emotional when you're the patient. And so, you know, you need that that set of ears that isn't um, as um, emotionally vested as you are um, so that you can make sure that between the two of you, you got a straight answer and you know what it, what it was that the doctor recommended or said or how they answered your question, right? So you're the general contractor in your case. Advocate for yourself. Don't go to doctor appointments alone. All right, the next one is you need to accept help. Now, I just shared how you can help someone going through cancer. But when you're the one that's on the receiving end, I know that it is often hard to accept that help. And you really have to be willing to do that and to recognize that you are not putting people out. People want to help. Um, They want to feel needed and you need the help. Because your body needs to heal. Uh, Your body needs to have, um, you know, it needs the extra energy used for healing. So things that you might normally be able to do, like making meals and, and you know, taking care of the house and those kind of things. And yes, there may be parts during your journey that you can do those things, but 
honestly, accepting help will be a blessing to you and it will be a blessing to those that want to help you. And um, it doesn't mean that you're weak and it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It means that you're human. We're designed to do life in community and you need to allow that community to come around you. So accept help. All right. Number five, you got to keep a sense of humor. <laughs> you got to keep a sense of humor. Um, you really do. I mean, so much of a cancer journey is so very overwhelming. It's emotionally heavy. And and you just got to have a sense of humor. I can remember a couple of things that happened um, that just really kind of lightened things up. Um, I chose to uh, wear a wig um, when my hair fell out, which by the way, um, not all hair, not all of your hair usually falls out. At least in my case, it didn't. Um, but it starts coming out in clumps. And so you get these um, bald spots. And ultimately, that's why people eventually just shave their head because you've just got so many bald spots. Um, there are some ways that you can reduce hair loss. And um, one of them is an ice cap. And we checked into that, but it was extremely expensive and my insurance didn't cover it. Now, I have a friend over in Ohio who is going through breast cancer right now. And there's a nonprofit locally that actually provided the ice cap for her and it didn't cost her anything. So it's always worth checking out what's available in the community, what's available in your area. Um, you know, had I had access to that, I might've used it. And, um, her hair has definitely thinned, but she has not had to worry about wearing a wig. Um, she's been able to keep enough of her hair. So that is a possibility. But I wore a wig. And um, I remember one time I had to, I had to go to the cancer center and have a test done. And I knew that this test, it was going to be kind of a long test and I was going to be in a scan. And I was like, I don't want to wear my wig. So I just threw on a scarf. And my plan was to take my wig with me because Mark and I were going to go meet some friends for lunch afterwards. And I usually didn't go out in scarves in public. Um, I just chose not to. I just preferred to wear my wig. And um, so that was my plan. So I got to the cancer center. I had that test done. It lasted like 45 minutes. And when it was done, it was time to meet our friends for lunch. And I realized I had forgotten my wig at home. And so I remember um, showing up and um, uh, saying to our friends, um, please pardon my appearance. I'm sorry, I left my hair at home. <laughs> it's not everybody that can say that. I left my hair at home. And we got a good laugh out of that. Another time, 
is another wig story. Another time my mom and I went shopping um, with chemo. I gained a quite a bit of weight and, um, and, and so mom and I went shopping because I just needed more comfortable clothes. I wanted, you know, just some uh, clothes that I could lay around the house in. And so um, we went uh, to the store and I went into the dressing room to try on clothes while well, I had my wig on. And when you're trying on clothes with a wig, you know, the wig's pulling off. And so finally I was like, I'm just taking my wig off. I can try clothes on and off, on and off, on and off. And then I'll put my wig back on. Well, I needed something in a different size. And I, uh, kind of peeked out to see where my mom was so I could ask her to get it. And she was nowhere to be found. I waited a little while and I don't know where she was. And so finally I was like, oh, this is silly. I'm just going to go get it. So I left the dressing room and went to get it. And I had these really, I mean, I kind of had some people looking at me funny and I didn't even think about it. I had walked out without my wig on. I wish I had thought quickly and I wish I would have said, oh my goodness, you don't want to go in that dressing room. You'll go in with hair and come out with none. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, And so we laughed about that for the longest time. Another funny story. So with chemo, uh, my type of chemo, I lost my sense of taste. And um, so the entire time I was going through chemo, so that was like three months that I had no taste. And um, somebody brought a meal. I was so grateful when people would just bring a meal. They didn't come to visit. I mean, literally ring the doorbell. Hey, I brought this. And just put it in your freezer for whenever you need it. I mean, they didn't even ask if they could bring a meal. They just brought it. And quite frankly, I was so grateful for that. I do think there's value in asking because, you know, sometimes people are on special diets or, you know, you want to know if there's anything they can't eat. But in general, that was so helpful. Um, Austin was a senior in high school, so he was still at home. You know, even if it was something I couldn't have eaten, which most of the time I was fine with it, um, I now eat differently. Like I now greatly limit sugar and I don't eat very much gluten or dairy. Um, That's kind of my post-cancer choice to uh, change my nutrition. But at that point in time, um, I just, we just needed food in us. And um, it was just so nice to be able to have those meals because we could, I could pull them out of the freezer. I could throw them in um, either the crock pot or the oven and, you know, make sure that Mark and Austin were fed. Um, but anyway, she uh, dropped a meal off um, in the morning and, um, and it, she brought along with it, she brought uh, the cinnamon crunch bread from the Great Harvest Bread Company. I love cinnamon crunch bread <laughs> from the Great Harvest Bread Company. Oh my goodness, it's so very good. And um, I was so disappointed because I thought, I, I can't taste it. I mean, it's one of my favorites and I can't taste it. So I brought it in the house and I put, you know, whatever she had brought in the freezer. And then there's this bread sitting there. And I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a little piece. Um, I hadn't had it. It was right at lunchtime. I hadn't had anything. I'm just going to cut a little piece. And I ate a little piece of that cinnamon crunch bread. And you know what? I could actually taste it. 
I think the cinnamon was so strong that it cut through and some of my taste buds were picking it up and I hadn't tasted anything in probably a month at this point in time. And I was so, I was so amazed that I could taste it, that I cut another piece and ate it and another piece and another piece and another piece. And then that afternoon I ate some more. And by the time Mark got home that night, he came and he saw the cinnamon crunch bread sitting on the counter and there was only a couple of slivers. I had eaten the whole thing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, who brought cinnamon crunch bread? And I told him who, and I said, you know, they brought, you know, a whole meal and it's in the freezer. And he goes, um, well, when do they bring it? <laughs> I said, this morning. And he goes, well, who ate the bread? And I was like, me. <laughs> I could, I could taste it, honey. I could taste the whole thing. <laughs> and so, oh my goodness, we laughed about that for the longest time. I have never, ever eaten an entire uh, thing of, of, of great harvest bread um, since then, before that or since then. But um, I was just so delighted that I was able to taste something. Hey, something just uh, crossed my mind as I was talking about somebody bringing meals. You know, you think about bringing meals to people who are in treatment, but when people have received bad news, that's also a good time to bring meals. And honestly, um, or when they are determining treatment, because during that three to four weeks after my diagnosis, you guys, I was at the doctor. I mean, it just seemed like it was one appointment after another appointment, after another appointment, after another appointment. And I mean, there were times we would get home from doctor's appointments. It would be five, six o'clock. And I was just like, I don't even know what to make for dinner. I was so exhausted from being in doctor's offices. So that's another time. Um, you know, don't just think about it when people are in treatment, when a crisis has happened, when they've gotten bad news, when they are trying to determine what they're going to do with the diagnosis, that also is a good time um, to be that second set of ears and that second set of hands. All right. So six things someone who's going through cancer needs to know. You're the general contractor for your case. Um, advocate for yourself. You need to accept help. Don't go to doctor appointments alone. You got to keep a sense of humor. And finally, don't make the little C bigger than the big C. Christ is bigger than cancer. You need your faith to hold you steady. And this is when you need to lean into God's word. This is when you need to lean into um, God's truth. Um, it isn't it isn't a time to ask why. Let me tell you, when you ask the why question, why me? Um, here's, here's what I want you to know. It's a broken world. This world is a broken world. This world, um, this, ex this existence on this side of heaven is a broken existence and disease happens. Um, hurt happens pain happens. And so uh, when you get a, a cancer diagnosis, 
it is because of the brokenness in this world. So the question I've learned, it's not to ask why, it's to ask what and how. What do you want me to see, God? Um, How do you want me to walk this out? Um, What in your word is going to give me the hope and the help that I need in this moment? Um, There were times when I would uh, go through uh, tests. Uh, There were times when um, I'm a really hard stick. And so there were times where I, you know, they'd need to start an IV or they need to draw blood. And I was like a pin cushion, um, which honestly, um, I ended up getting a port uh, because of that. And um, I was so grateful. Uh, I had that port for all of, well, the first chemo treatment they tried to do, um, regularly, but uh, I just have such small veins uh, that the nurses were like, hey, you need a port. So for my remaining three treatments, I had a port and then they were able to draw blood out of that port from that point on for, for the, for a year. I didn't have my port removed um, for a year. So um, but, you know, when they would be like trying to draw blood and I was a pincushion, I would use uh, Philippians 4.13, I I would just meditate on it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I would just meditate on that during difficult tests, during difficult treatments. You need God's truth to be an anchor that holds you steady in the treatment journey. I can do all things. Um, There are, uh, God draws near to the brokenhearted. That's another one um, that I would often um, tap into. And I will make sure um, I've actually got a document that has scriptures for someone going through a hard time. And I will make sure that is also in the show notes um, because um, you need God's truth. Uh, you need to keep the big C um, at the top of your priority list. Um, and the big C is Christ. And that puts the little C into perspective and it gives you the strength and the steadiness to walk out whatever it is that you need to walk out in the journey. Well, I hope that this has been helpful, whether it's just for you wanting to educate yourself if you or someone you love might ever need to walk this journey. Um, if it's you that is walking through it, I want you to know that you're not alone. I know you now belong to a club that you never wanted to belong to. Um, but I also want you to know, um, that there are resources out there to help you and to encourage you. Um, and if there is someone, um, that just has a diagnosis and, um, you know, you'd like 
us to be praying for you. Mark and I take very seriously our um, uh, our opportunity to pray for those who are part of our podcast family, um, who hang out with us in our email family, um, which by the way, if you don't get my emails, jillsavage.org slash subscribe and um, uh, or you know, hanging out in social media, you can direct message me. Uh, you can send me an email through my website. Um, let us know if there's any way that we can be praying specifically for you, um, because we would really value that. Um, just so you know, also, um, I didn't mention this and it just came to my mind. Um, one of the things that, um, we did is we set up a caring bridge site when I was going through my treatment. And that was really helpful because um, that gave us a centralized location to communicate things to friends and family who cared. And people could um, subscribe to my caring bridge page. So if a new post was put up, um, they were able to, um, to get that post um, in an email format or to get a notification that a new post was out there. Um, when I had surgeries, um, Mark was able to, uh, you know, put as soon as I was out of surgery, it kept him from having to text a million different people. Um, they just knew to watch the caring bridge page and it would be, uh, it would be um, a real time updates. And uh, we found that to be, super helpful. And it really reduced the amount of us having to uh, communicate things to so many people who cared. Um, I will put a link to my Caring Bridge page. Um, sometimes people like to go. In fact, I did this. Um, I went back and read through some people that I knew that had had breast cancer before me. I read their Caring Bridge page just to better understand the journey. And um, I'll also put a link to my Caring Bridge page for you um, if you'd ever like to go back and read through those because those posts are still out there and still available for people to read. I hope this has been helpful and um I would love to just um, close in prayer today for anyone who's walking through uh, the journey of cancer. Father God, um, just thank you for the people that have um, joined in listening today. Um, I pray, Father, for anyone listening today that has heard those words, you have cancer and their world has turned upside down. I pray, Father, I don't have to ask them to, I don't have to ask you to be with them because you already are. But I do pray that you would, that they would feel your presence. I pray that they would draw closer to you in the midst of this journey. I pray, Father God, that, um, they would, um, your, your word says that you hold our right hand. And I remember as I was going into surgery, that was a scripture. I felt like you were holding my right hand as I was rolled into surgery. So I pray, Father God, that your word would come alive for them during this season and that um, they would drop an anchor, drop their anchor in your word so that it would hold them steady and they would draw close to you in the midst of this hard season. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free ebooks for you. 
You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.